Good evening, LCM! Tonight is June 23rd, 2022, and tonight has already been and will continue to be a time of celebration in the house of God tonight. A time of rejoicing, giving God praise for where we are as a church. We're a church that is filled with joy. Did you know that? Yeah, we're a church that's filled with joy. There's a reason for that, though. It's because we are men and women who understand the progress that we are making on our journey toward perfection. Can somebody say hallelujah? hallelujah. Come on, last Sunday we experienced the biblical precedent of Eureka. I found it. Yeah. Illustrated in the function of Mount Ebal, the curses, and Mount Gerizim, the blessings. On Mount Ebal, there was an altar to bring your imperfections to. A place where you are granted the opportunity to be refined before God. God. A place to be restored in your relationship to Him. The first place to start before heading to the mountain of blessings. When God's people discovered the impurities in their lives, they had a clear path to getting it right with God. Isn't that good news that you have a clear path to get it right with God? Well, in addition to the altar being the first place to start, it was the place to continually return to the next town that you found up in perfection. A place where you could lift up your eyes and you could see and begin to rejoice that God has provided a way to purify your faith, refine you into a greater level of righteousness again and again and again. The altar of God is a place where we... Veni, vidi, vici. Translated into English is I came, I saw, I conquered. So the title of tonight's message is Veni, vidi, vici. Okay, repeat it after us. Veni, vidi, vici. Vici. That means I came, I saw, I conquered. This is actually a Latin phrase, guys. Yeah, dead language, but we're still understanding it today because it's riddled in almost all of the languages that you're familiar with. This Latin phrase is popularly attributed to, I don't know, an uncommon man named Julius Caesar, little known. Mm. Julius Caesar, who in 47 BC, so before Christ walked the earth, 47 BC, he wrote it in a letter. After achieving a quick victory against Pharnaces II. <laughs> That's a weird name, but he's from a special place. Tell us. Pharnaces II is from a place called Pontus Whoa. in northeast Turkey. Julius Caesar, after achieving a victory over this dude from Pontus at the Battle of Zela, coined this phrase, Vini, Veni, Vidi, Vici. And that phrase is still used today to refer to a swift and conclusive victory. If this can be said of a BC-era Roman emperor after the battle, let's take a look at what is said by the King of Kings and Lord of Lords before the battle. Yeah. We're going to go to John 16.33 in the swish, which is the net. N-E-T. <laughs> 
coined it. That's, uh, that's a new term for it. So it says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have trouble and suffering, but take courage. I have conquered the world. Though oh. well, we got something to share with you that connects to this passage. It's an excerpt from Spurgeon's Daily Devotional. And it goes like this. The captain of our salvation was made perfect through sufferings. And good soldiers of Jesus Christ must expect to pass through the same experience. As long as you are here, you will be tried. In the world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Think of that. The Christ who is about to sweat like great drops of blood and to die on the cross of Calvary says, I have overcome. Oh, it's not Julius Caesar's Vini, Vidi, Vici, but it is Christ, Vini, Vidi, Vici. I came, I saw, I conquered, I have overcome. And as he is overcome, so shall you, if you be his true follower. Come on, you can't miss it. This emperor, this conqueror in 47 BC, supposedly coined this phrase, and then Christ gets on the scene. And about 70 years later, a perfect amount of time, yeah. he is standing there and saying, I am the one that has overcome. Yeah. I am the one that is coming to bring victory for my kingdom. That's powerful right there. So shall you is the next thing that comes out of his mouth, though. You see, he didn't just stop and say, I have overcome. He also turned to his disciples and those following him and said, so shall you. You will also overcome because you are true followers of Jesus. Guys, we're following our conquering king right into battle. Yes. He's the one that already stands victorious, already stands triumphant as our crown king. And he's the one that's cleared the way for the path to victory, the path to our own perfection, because he stands in the presence of his Father in a perfected and glorious state already. Amen. That's confidence for us, that on our journey to that same state, we will achieve what he has done before us. But the journey starts somewhere, church. It's a place that we've been talking about for the last week. The journey always starts at the altar first. Yeah, it does. Church, many of you have come from church environments that are built around insulating you. From any abrasive moments of confronting imperfections, the same uh, moments that are actually meant to build you into the perfect bride that Christ desires. Come on, talk to us about oh, that. Help us out. These environments that cause stagnancy. They cause uh, dissatisfaction. Frankly, they cause absolutely nothing in the kingdom realm whatsoever. That's true. <laughs> That's why I link him. <laughs> because no one develops in order to reach the goal of their faith, the salvation of their souls. You see, that's not just a modern church problem. That's a sin in the creation problem. You find these same insulating environments in your water of the womb families yeah in your workplaces yeah everywhere that you go everywhere the general consensus is to not deal with any taboo taboo subjects. that subjects ta you can't mm. talk about that that's taboo 
and to make sure that everyone feels comfortable and included in the group. Part of the country club, right? Well, the same tendency is also present in all of us. With that being said, praise God that we have been in moments lately where as a parent, the Lord is liberating us from it. Praise God that we've been in moments where God is liberating us from it. Are you allowed tonight, saints? What we're doing is that we're learning something here. We're learning how to take fleshly defensiveness and put it under our feet. We're learning to take carnal helplessness and send it back to hell where it belongs. We're learning to stop shrinking back from the moments that make us more like our king. Instead, we're pressing into them. All the while, lifting up our heads, lifting up our hands, and rejoicing in the fact that we have the opportunity to be perfected like him. Come on, we're going to keep going higher. So every single person in this room tonight, everyone, yes, I am talking to you. That's, yes, you over there. I am talking to you tonight. Every person in this room, we want you to do something right here. Remember back to the moment when you first knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Lord was doing something genuine in your life. The first moment. Like the first time when you opened up your word and you read it and it came alive and you knew it. It was special. There was something different about the words on the page. They weren't just words to you anymore. Everybody got that? Okay. Now in that moment, did you feel perfected? No. 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 No, absolutely not. You didn't feel perfected. In fact, you were sure that you were not perfected. It was, it was, you were encountering the living God and you knew in that moment, no, no, that is perfection and I am not that. And at the same time, in that exact moment, he was showing you first, the first part of who you are that needed to be transformed. And it produced something beautiful. Because he wasn't trying to degrade you in that moment. He was revealing himself so that you would be be solid and firm that he was working and moving in your life. Guys, that's the reason why the Lord brought you to LCM. That reason right there. That first initial, first love kind of moment in your life. That's why God brought you here. It's because... This is the very thing that it will be built into you to make you stronger and stronger and stronger until the day that you take your last breath on this earth will be the strongest that you have ever been. That's because you are discovering that the singular moment that you had at first, it wasn't just a singular moment. It was moment building upon moment, building upon moment, building upon moment and moment and moment on a journey of learning how to mature in him, learning how to love him, learning how to be perfected in him, and we're still on that journey together. Amen. Every believer in this room is already authentically on a journey that still involves these moments that relate to both Mount Ball and Mount Gerizim. That's because salvation was not a singular transaction. We are still on the journey of salvation that leads towards the ultimate goal that we will reach perfection. We can only get there by continually facing our imperfections. 
celebrating the discoveries of what needs to be purified and rejoicing in the beautiful transformation that will occur. Do you hear the hope in that? That we will reach perfection. We will mature. We will grow. But it, the process is a matter of facing our imperfections with a celebratory and rejoicing attitude. Well, there's one man in particular in the Older Testament. His name is Jeremiah, who had this very encounter. Jeremiah 15, 16. I'm going to read it to you out of the NASB. Your words were found, and I ate them. And your words became for me a joy and the delight of my heart. For you have been called, for I have been called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. What's happening in Jeremiah's life at this point is that after many, many years of being an obedient follower of Yahweh, God is revealing to him an imperfection that has to be refined and purified. And in engaging with God's word and seeing the reality of God's word and the comparison of where he's at and that imperfection is being revealed, he is taking that word and he is ingesting it. He is bringing it into his soul. He says, your words became for me a joy and the delight of my heart or the delight of my lieb, the center of my being. And then on top of that, not only is he only rejoicing in what God's word is bringing to the surface to help him reach perfection, he's recalling how God has originally chosen him, how God has called him into the service and ministry of being his representative, being his trumpet. Saints, when we begin to engage this process of a journey to perfection like Jeremiah does, there is going to be that joy and delight of his word entering into our soul. That incision into our heart is a joyous event. And then we begin to remember who we are, what we're called to, and find a greater confidence to do it. Guys, in Jeremiah 15, Jeremiah is no longer a spring chicken, all right? He, he's not the young man that he once was when he was called in Jeremiah chapter 1. But you can clearly see that when he looks into the word of God, it has become his joy and the delight yes. of his heart. It's not that it wasn't at first, but in an increasing measure as he continued to look into the word and experience it, to feel it, to live it. Oh my goodness, it became the very joy and delight of his inner being. Yeah. Guys, that is the same journey that we're on. And guess what? A man named James in the Newer Testament wrote about that same journey in James chapter 1. Let's read verse 25. He said, But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it. He will be blessed in what he does. Goodness, what a blessing it is to have the words of James as a yet another witness in the word of God about this truth. He's talking about not just looking into it. He's talking about looking at the word intently. Like opening it up and intently examining the perfect law. That gives freedom. Amen. That gives freedom. He's experienced that freedom in his life, and he can't help but to write about it, testify it, be testify to it, be joyful about it. See, when you intently look into the Word to see what's inside of you that needs to die, this is the very thing that causes you 
to dwell in Shechem, in Shechem between the two mountains. But you are standing there in Shechem and you're able to look at both mountains where you're standing. You can look and experience the transformation and you can also look and experience the blessing. And you get to stand right in between and experience both of those simultaneously. Amen. That's fantastic. We're going to look at another, another passage here. Let's go to Nehemiah 8. Come on. Some of the things are going to make some connections here as well. You're going to hear some things that we've been talking about at Foundation, and it's going to be amazing. <laughs> so, starting in verse 9. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people have been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. So as you can see, actually in verse 1 of Nehemiah 8, all the people come together and they assemble as one man. Just like we heard in Ezra in Foundations on Tuesday. Okay? First thing they did though, they, they came. came. They came. They came together. Came together. The people were given the privilege of looking into the perfect law that gives freedom. Amen. They saw. They saw. But what happened at that point? What was their immediate reaction? They all began to weep. Uh -oh. See, what happened is they, they went into despair mode instead of repair mode. Oh, that's good. Come on now. These past few messages have revealed how much I have been in despair mode. But listen, this is actually God showing me how to get this right. Amen. He's helping me to go from despair mode Find my joy and engage in repair mode. Amen. Praise God for the governor, the priests, and the Levites that were there. They piped up and instructed the people, do not mourn or weep. This is your time to conquer. conquer. So Nehemiah and the Levites went on to instruct them on what to do. What would help them to choose joy and transform their mournful reaction to God's life-giving law and correction. Amen to <laughs> This is what God is giving us the opportunity tonight, is to receive the instruction of that process of joyfully interacting with his altar, joyfully interacting with his presence that transforms us. They came, they saw, and they conquered. And what I'm witnessing inside of my brother is that he is going from despair mode to repair mode. I'm watching him get to work and put his hands to rebuilding. Let's go to verse 10 of Nehemiah 8. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. That's good advice, Pastor. And send some to those who have nothing prepared. Even better. Even better. This day is sacred to our God. Do not grieve. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people. Saying, be still, for this day is sacred. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink. Amen. To send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy. Because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. Look, all the people corrected their wrong reaction of mourning and weeping. Instead, they went away to eat together, to drink together, to share these things with each other. Because before they did not understand their true state, 
but they're rejoicing at this point because now they actually do. In the very next verse, all of the exiles are going to get another crack at it. So let's check it out in verse 13. Okay, so we saw that they came, they saw, and then they wept at their first crack at this. But look at verse 13, guys. They get a second crack at it. On the second day of the month, the heads of all the families, along with the priests and the Levites, gathered around Ezra the scribe to give attention to the words of the law. Okay, they're coming together again. They're starting out right once more. Go to verse 14. They found written in the law, oh my goodness, they're beginning to see again, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in booths during the feast of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out into the hill country and bring back branches from olive and wild olive trees, and from myrtles, palms, shade trees to make booths. As it is written, they saw, Vidi, they saw. Guys, do you realize, question for you, did Israel know how to celebrate the Feast of Booths before the Word of God was opened here? They did not, but they came to hear the Word of God. Then the Word of God was opened, and so were their eyes as God's Word poured out Their eyes got open to the reality. And guess what? It was something that was not being practiced in their life yet. That's what we really want, isn't it? That we come to a place and our eyes get open to something that we're not yet doing. Oh my goodness, the glory of God and the privilege that we experience to get to come to a place and figure out and discover like a buried treasure what God requires of us that we're not doing. That's glorious, church. Let's go on in verse 16 and see what they did after they came and they saw. So the people went out and brought back branches and built themselves booths on their own roofs, in their courtyards, in the courts of the house of God, and in the square by the water gate and the one by the gate of Ephraim. The whole company that had returned from exile built booths and lived in them. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, The Israelites had not celebrated it like this, and their joy was very great. Come on, they got it right this time, church. They conquered. Vichy. Their joy was very great. You could see how it's happening. They missed it the first part. They missed the mark. They were in despair mode. You could see in the second portion here. They see. They, They work at it. The Lord has opened their eyes to understand it. They end up conquering and bringing it to something they have not done before. Amen. They weren't doing it. They were able to do it. They saw the work that needed to be done, and that is the repair instead of the despair. Amen. Isn't it good to have a father who leads us out of despair and into repair? Who gives us joy that is our strength and that we get to work. Let's all turn to Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to pick up in verse 4. Say there when you're there. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. 
My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. So here's the question to ask yourself. How you handle these moments of discipline in your life, your team, and your family, did you know that the way that you handle these moments is directly related to your own personal view of sonship and relationship with the Father? If you've forgotten who your Father is, then you end up making light of his discipline and you lose heart. You go into despair and respond wrongly. Much like we saw in the book of Nehemiah where there's weeping, there's mourning, there's sulking, there's soaking, a downcast spirit, and moaning. Am I the only one in this house in the past week or two has been experiencing these very effects? No. No. But we're turning this thing around. We're finding the fact that our father loves us by bringing to the surface our imperfection because he wants us to be just like him. Guys, listen to us tonight. When you know who your father is, and when you know that you are his son, when you have those truths in the palm of your hand and you are confident in them, then any moment of discipline that comes at you from any person, from God, all the way down to anybody else that's around you, any moment of discipline, you know that it's not a setback. You know that it's not a discouragement. It's actually words of encouragement that address you as a son of God Almighty. Guys, the Lord disciplines everyone that he considers a son. Romans 2 actually goes as far as to say that it's God's kindness that leads us into this discipline and in this repentance. It's his kindness. It's nothing else. It is his good character and faithfulness to us, leading us straight into it. His kindness to reveal what is hidden to us, but known to him the entire time. Isn't that comforting? Like when we're surprised by something (laughs) and we're like, oh my God, Lord, did you know about this? Because I didn't. Yes. Isn't it comforting to know that he knew it the whole time? Yes. But in his perfect timing, he brought it to you. He brought it to me just when the time was right so that we could rejoice in the transformation process all over again and solidify our sonship. Guys, come on now. That is incredible. My father's helping me to get this right. He's helping me see what I could not on my own. His kindness is revealing my flaws, and it's leading me to perfection. This is not a mournful moment. This is a beautiful moment. His words of encouragement, correction, kindness are the only thing that we will continue to make us men. Like the ultimate man. Because that's how he treats his legitimate sons. We want to quote to you an excerpt from If by Rudyard Kipling that is a father encouraging a son on how to be a man. If you can dream and not make dreams your master, if you can think and not make thoughts your aim, 
if you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters just the same, you'll be a man, my son. In our journey to being made perfect, we must have our father's perspective of ourselves at all time. Our own estimation of our state is just that, an estimation, which is not a perfect perspective. Our father has the perfect perspective, and we are maturing in our dependency upon it. Maturity that rejoices to find imperfections and the maturity to then receive the blessings that follow. It's a joyous thing when you get that perspective that your father has. Look, I, I can't trust my own perspective of myself, and I shouldn't. In fact, God has given me the solution. I lift up my eyes to him and constantly seek his perspective of who I am. That one I can always trust. And then his spirit testifies to it by breathing through his word that then encourages, settles, puts my heart in right shalom. And at that point, I can walk confidently. I'm not bouncing between despair and and arrogance. I'm standing rightly with my father, knowing that what I'm doing and how I'm doing it is pleasing to him. It is right, and it is going to result in transferring that impact to other people. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 2. We're going to read the words of encouragement given to the church of Ephesus. We're going to pick up in verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles, but are not, and have found them false. These guys are studs, Pastor. They are studs. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Look, these men that are in the church of Ephesus, they were zealous for righteousness. They had the standard of God's word deep inside of them, deep convictions that then would give them discernment of those around them. They would not tolerate wickedness. They would approach it and attack it immediately. And they found apostles. I mean, they found apostles, man, and found them to be false. That takes a great level of discernment, engagement with his word, and having the deep standards of God within you. That's so good. And it didn't even stop there. It said they persevered. That's an incredible attribute of a man and woman of God. They endured hardships for his name. Yes, that's actually... Who can relate in this room to enduring hardships for the name of Christ? Come on, we're learning to do it more and more. They did not grow weary. Guys, I could look at any one of you in this room and look at you in the eyes and and say most of these things. That's what makes verse 4 so impactful and so encouraging. Come on, read this with us in an encouraging way for maybe the first time of your entire life. Yet I hold this against you. You've forsaken your first love. Oh, but, but God, did you know about this? Yes, I did know about this, and now is the time to bring it into the light, and it's time for you to rejoice in my transformation. Remember the height from which you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I'm going to come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, 
There's a reason why we started this message the way that we did. Remembering back to the moment when you first knew the Lord was doing something genuine. When his word first came alive in you. Remembering that in those times, you did not feel perfected. But you did have confidence knowing that God was working and moving in you. You remembered that. God was showing the first part of you that he was going to reach down and transform. But we know that this was just the first step of many on your journey to perfection. Yes, it was. Church, what God did in you in that first moment with him, that's the first love that we're talking to you about tonight. Your first love of the altar of God. Your first love of him coming down and pointing and showing you this part of your life is the part that I'm going to transform. And the love that immediately sprung up from you in that moment saying, thank you, mighty God. I didn't know it, but I knew that you knew it all along. And this is what I need. I'm not satisfied with the life that I have been living. I want you to empty me and fill me with everything of you, mighty king. That's the first kind of love that we're preaching to you tonight. That's the first love that God wants to rekindle inside of you in these moments. That is what God is going to do inside of us tonight as we approach this altar with joy. Guys, the repentance that we had at first is the very thing that brought his lampstand into your life. He took his lampstand and he placed it right in you. And he said, you are going to shine for my glory And the practice of returning to that first love is the very thing that keeps his lampstand burning brightly inside of you. We're going to continue in verse 6. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Don't stop hating sin in others, too. Sin is sin, and we hate it wherever we find it. But we love to find it in ourselves. Return to your first love, church. The altar where you first met with him. That place where you came to him. You saw him face to face. You, he empowered you to conquer. This is how it was from the beginning of our journey. And this is how it will be until our last breath. This is how it will be until our very last breath. Let's go to verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So where we began is that this is a letter written to the church in Ephesus. And Ephesus means the desired one. The very thing that we have fought in the past. The very thing that our flesh has hated in the past. Meaning finding those imperfections, or better yet, having them revealed to us. There's a beautiful secret here. Responding with joy at the privilege of partaking in discipline and the Lord's work. Joyfully approaching the altar and asking for him to change you. This is what makes you desirable to the Lord. This is what makes you desirable to your husband. Desirable to your brothers and the very household of God. You see, you didn't fully understand that before. Because you thought, oh, well, I'm really, I have really good discernment, 
and I, I counsel other Christians really well, and that's what makes me desirable to the rest of my team. I'm, I'm just, I'm really good at that. Uh, you thought, oh, no, 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 not that. No, I play guitar really well, and I'm really good at worship, and I can do all kinds of stuff up here. That is not what makes you desirable. As the desired one is one that keeps a constant view of his first love of the altar of God. That is what makes you desirable to the king. That is what makes you desirable women to your king. Children, that is what makes you desirable to your parents. It, it runs all the way downhill. You become the desired one when your first love remains the altar. You are joyfully Amen. approaching the altar with everything that you are, and you cannot wait for your next moment of transformation. Guys, there is nothing more attractive, nothing more desirable than that kind of attitude in our own lives. Amen. We're going to close tonight in a passage It's Psalm 43. Turn with us to Psalm 43. Guys, in this psalm, we are going to see how the psalmist, Veni Vidi Vici, how he came to the Lord, how he was able to see his true state, and how he conquered it by joyfully journeying to the altar of God. When you get to Psalm 43, land on verse 2 with us. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Oh, somebody say, I came to him. I came to him. Guys, is this how you came into the house of God today, maybe? I mean, that first set of worship, it was incredible. It dragged me right out of it. But did you, can you relate to this passage a little bit as you're walking through the doors? Like, knowing that you had a stronghold in God Almighty... But at the same time, on the other hand, kind of grumbling, feeling a little bit oppressed by the enemy at the same time, a little bit dejected. Praise God that this mindset specifically is the mindset that's getting transformed tonight. This is what God has focused us from the very beginning of this service tonight and what he will focus us all the way until we leave those doors and beyond. That's what this altar is for tonight And we are going to teach you and instruct you on how to approach it correctly. Yeah, Yeah, verse 3. Send forth your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Somebody say, I saw. I saw. He is faithful, church. He sends forth his light and his truth so that we can see. And he guides us to Mount Ebal and to Mount Gerizim. And he does it because he is faithful to lead us exactly where we need to be. We need to catch that. Where we need to be. Not our thoughts of where it needs to be. Not where I want to be sometime down the road. Specifically, right now, where we need to be. Praise God that we have the privilege of having his light and truth illuminating the imperfections still present in our lives. Look how verse 4 picks up on that note, meaning his word illuminating our imperfections. Then will I go to the altar of God, to God, my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the harp, O God, my God. Somebody say, I conquered. conquered. Oh, say it again with some enthusiasm and joy. I I wanna hear it one more time, light up the room. 
we must be clear with you tonight. This altar that's right here is for your ability to rejoice in what God is transforming inside of your life. We're going to put aside weeping. We're going to throw away mourning and sulking and soaking and the downcast spirit and moaning before God, hoping that we can beat up ourselves enough to where he will accept our sacrifice. We're going to lift up our heads. We're going to see the salvation that God is giving us here, right here and right now. And that what is acceptable before him is a grateful and a thankful heart that says, thank you, God, for revealing what is a flaw inside of me because that is one step closer to being just like you. This altar here tonight is for your joy and it's for your delight. It's you choosing to praise him with all that you have as you approach it. The final verse in Psalm 43 helps us to get this right. As we read the final verse, stand up to your feet. We're going to read verse 5 together. Verse 5 says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Yeah, that's right. We're going to get those feelings out of here. Completely and totally from every corner of the room all the way in here. Look at the next verse, the next part of the verse. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Guys, our joy tonight is found in the very fact that we have been granted the privilege of having access to his altar. It is then that we can be secured, secured in that place that we find ourselves staring at the transformation that we need and at the blessings that God has in store for us. The joy in having access to the altar gives us the ability to joyfully return to it in our cycles of being made perfect. As we begin to pray, there's a reason why the bronze altar is second in the tabernacle process. Bronze altar is second because anyone who wants to come before the Lord and into his presence has to start through the gates of praise. It's a requirement. So tonight, as we approach the altar, we will not approach it with weeping. We will not approach it with mourning. We will not approach it with poor as me or any of those emotions. No, we will approach it as going straight through the very gates of praise, praising his name, approaching him how he desires. Come on, lift up your hands and pray with me. And as you approach the altar, approach it with praise on your lips. Mighty God, we thank you for this altar, Lord. We approach you how you have prescribed, Lord, through gates of praise, Lord, praising you for the experiences that you're bringing, praising you for the position that we're in, mighty God.